Welcome to the Parenting in the Digital Age podcast. Many parents are concerned that their child might be falling behind. Others are just looking for ways to help their children thrive, not just in the classroom, but socially and well into their future careers. Each episode, we explore the challenges facing parents in the modern world, from behavior, education, and nutrition, to device and gaming addiction. We interview a range of leaders in the area of childhood development to help you successfully navigate parenting in the digital age. Here is your host, Jamie Buttigieg. Hello parents and welcome to Parenting in the Digital Age, where we explore the challenges and opportunities of raising kids in a world filled with technology. Today we have the pleasure of hosting Dr. Megan Connell, a board certified psychologist, author, speaker and game master. In her work, Dr. Connell utilizes tabletop role-playing games as a clinical intervention. And in 2017, she co-founded the media company Geeks Like Us, which focuses on geek and gaming culture. She's also the author of the book, Tabletop Role-Playing Therapy, and serves as a board member for Geek Therapeutics, which is a training platform that helps develop professional programs teaching the inclusion of games in clinical practices. So join us in this fascinating episode as we discuss how tabletop role-playing games can help kids thrive. Dr. Connell, welcome to the show. Please share with our listeners in your own words uh, what you do and what you are passionate about. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. So I am a psychologist, so I work in private practice, actually my own practice, uh, HealthQuest Innovative Therapeutics, where we bring in interests and the latest interventions in psychology into day-to-day therapy. And so a lot of my job is teaching people how their brains work and how to operate successfully in the world with their brains as they are wired. And I'll use a lot of gaming with that. I use a lot of uh, geek culture, geek references, and trying to weave in people's special interests into therapy to kind of communicate to them in a language that they understand. That, that is super cool. Now, before we get into the use of games in therapy, for parents who may not be familiar with tabletop RPGs or role-play games, you know, can you give us a, a brief overview of what these games entail and how they might differ from traditional board games or video games? Yeah, so tabletop role-playing games are a shared narrative game. Uh, So the most popular and widely played game is Dungeons & Dragons. And this is a game where one person tends to act as the narrator of the story, and the other players act as the main characters as the story. The game master is also going to play the non-player characters, so like the shopkeepers, um, the adversaries, and other people that the adventurers are going to encounter. And the people at the table come up with how they're going to solve the problems that the game master puts before them. So it might be a thing of you have to get across the river, and they might choose to pay a fairy person to bring them across. They might choose to fly across. They might choose to swim. And depending on what the players decide to do changes the outcome and the flow of the story. And so it is this shared story that creates this wonderful opportunity to come together and go on an adventure without ever leaving your table and just rolling lots of beautiful dice. So let me maybe go back. How did you come up with this idea or concept like, you know, combining this sort of RPG gaming into therapy sounds pretty cool actually sounds like fun um how did you come up with this it is a lot of fun uh yeah for me it was i was playing D with some friends and i had been playing a game with my family so i had two separate characters and i was thinking about my characters one day 
And when I finally realized the things that they had in common, I kind of had this little, oh, no moment where I was like, oh, that's that's my big issue that I really need to work on. And I also realized I probably never would have organically come to that through therapy or just journaling. And so it was really fascinating to have just a handful of games and to have this humongous insight into myself. And I realized like what a powerful tool it could be and how much I wanted to use it therapeutically. And luckily I started getting connected with the, at the time, the only handful of other people in the United States who were using tabletop role-playing therapy and, you know, did some interventions and talks with that or consultations and talks with them and developed my own program. And it's blossomed from there. That's, that's fantastic. That's a, a wonderful realization to have. Uh, what, what are some of the maybe key therapeutic benefits of using tabletop games in a clinical setting? So particularly as it relates to kids and maybe adolescents. Yeah, well, we know that role playing is really a wonderful way to practice a skill set. And so a lot of time, like role playing has been built into therapeutic interventions since the 1970s, uh, maybe even the 1960s. But people are very hesitant to role play because oftentimes the role plays that we have in therapy are role play as yourself. And that feels incredibly awkward and vulnerable and we don't like doing that. What tabletop games do is they give you a character sheet. You are not role playing as yourself. You are role playing as your character. And so if the character messes up on how they deliver a line or how they are trying to solve a problem, well, that's not on the player. That's the character. It's the dice. It's the, the random chance of it. And so having that psychological distance between you and those learning moments seems to increase people's engagement with them. So they're more willing to try things, more willing to take risks than they would be if they were role playing as themselves. Yeah. And so it's a really powerful thing. And like it, you actually hit on one of the big keys too with this is it's fun. Um, we know from research that group therapy tends to be more effective than individual therapy for a wide array of diagnoses. The problem is, is you cannot get people to show up to group therapy. And so if people, you could have the best intervention in the world, but if people don't come to the intervention, it's not going to do anything. Yeah. And so making it a game, making it fun, you know, it's sort of that like a spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down kind of idea, right? Of like, if we sweeten it a little bit by adding in this fun gaming element to it, people are more likely to engage with it and much more likely to get the therapeutic benefits out of it. Yeah, that, that's tremendous and, and, and far more inclusive. So in the context of using games in therapy, is this uh, applicable to a wide range of challenges, like when I'm thinking about, say, depression or autism, anxiety, PTSD, trauma, life changes, uh, or is this just suited to addressing specific issues? The really quick answer of that is we don't know yet. Uh, I, in my book, I had to write several times, more times than I liked, that we don't have research because we don't, unfortunately. It seems to lend itself well to a wide array of diagnoses. You know, you listed a bunch of them with depression, anxiety, PTSD, autism, learning disorders, social anxiety, specific phobias, um, ADHD, uh, even you know, there's uh, a couple of pilot studies that were done that showed those who have uh, schizophrenia, where you have uh, intrusive hallucinations, it actually can be very helpful for reality testing, because you have to really actively define what role you're in, depending on how you're talking, and it can help potentially increase a little bit of that reality testing. 
we don't that's a case study of two people i believe so we don't have that's definitely not enough research but it does seem to have potential to work with a really wide array of problems and not just in a therapeutic setting more and more educators are starting to use tabletop gaming in the uh, the academic setting um there is somebody i can't remember their name but they are creating gaming modules to play through different periods of history so when you're learning history you might be learning about the roman legions and you get a character as a roman legionnaire and you're going on a campaign <laughs> and getting to learn about history that way learn about like what it was like to march you know all through europe and to you know battle and to push the roman empire out and fighting these different you know peoples and you know going through and having to battle diseases and things too it, it's a really interesting tool and it has a lot of potential yeah it does. and that's uh it's far more immersive like you know i remember learning history and it was kind of thrown at us and we had to write and memorize and you know to be honest it wasn't my most uh, in, uh fun or engaging subject but uh you know that that brings an element of immersion or uh you know in, interactivity which is bound to increase engagement that sounds 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 pretty cool um yeah well, and real quick, too, we actually see this in some uh, historical video games as well. I was actually just listening to a talk from PAX East on when historians play historical games. And one of them was talking about how what really got him into history was playing Assassin's Creed because he was playing it. And then in his history class, one of the characters that his character had been interacting with, I, I can't remember who it was, but all of a sudden they're like, OK, we're going to learn about this guy. And he's like... I just talked, I talked to him yesterday in my game. And, and his like history at that moment kind of came to life for him. And so that's the power of gaming is it, it's no longer this abstract, weird story. It's our story. And it, it feels personal. And when we're personally connected to it, we are much more likely to engage with it. Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, that's phenomenal. Um, can you share some thoughts, perhaps, on the role of gaming in building um, resilience, uh, maybe coping skills in children? Like, you know, particularly in the face of adversity or challenging life experiences for kids? Yeah, it, it's a humongously powerful skill. Like, And I would say not just uh, tabletop gaming, I know that's the area of expertise, but also uh, video games too. You know, there's been research on the Dark Souls games. Uh, for those who don't know, those are incredibly difficult video games. They are designed to be challenging video games, even for people who play video games all the time. Uh, this interesting thing happens with people who play Dark Souls who have depression is they seem to do better and they start to have fewer depressive symptoms. And it's not a magical thing, but what it is, is games like Dark Souls reward task persistence. So you go and you fight a boss and you die and you get this little text on the screen, you died. And you go back to your last save point, which is usually quite far away. And then you have to battle your way forward again. And then you try again and try again and try again. And like, that's the big key to success. You know, one of the things psychologists love to study is like, what makes somebody successful? What helps people be successful? And task persistence actually seems to be the big key. Intelligence certainly can help. Having a lot of opportunity in your life certainly helps a lot. But you can have a lot of intelligence and a lot of opportunity. But if you don't have that persistence to overcome difficulty, you're not going to get anywhere. And so gaming really has a way to reward that task persistence and to help you kind of learn to overcome it. In tabletop games, what they have an advantage of that video games don't have is they are not limited by code. 
you know, you can have some great ideas in a video game for how to solve a problem, but if it wasn't coded into the game, you can't do it. And so a game like D Dungeons and Dragons, the cipher system, um, kids on bikes, whatever the system is that you're using, you get to throw out an idea and then the game master figures out how to roll with that. Yeah. You know, it can be like, I want to set my bedroll on fire and set the village on fire to take care of the bandits. Okay, you can do that. <laughs> right? That's some interesting stuff is going to happen from it. And so this idea of finding unique ways to solve problems. I um I let one of my players know at one point this big secret that I have when any time that the players have to find a secret door, I know where the door is, but I don't know how it opens. And they all encounter the door and then they start guessing. And when they say something that sounds really cool and seems like it should work, that's the one that works. <laughs> that's great. That's really good. And I love that that idea of rewarding task persistence. I haven't heard of Dark Souls, but I will look it up. But, uh, you know, one thing we do in our own um, classroom setting is we teach kids how to code. And that that's very mm -hmm. big on that uh, task persistence and, you know, teaching that failure is completely normal and pushing through and, you know, getting the reward at the end of that persistence. So uh, and, I, and I can definitely see how gaming, uh, uh, you know, uh, helps with that. So, so here's an interesting question. So we know that there are many risks associated with perhaps online games, PC games, console games, you know, whether it's everything from, um, you know, obesity, a, you know, sedentary lifestyle through to, uh, online predators and, and you know privacy risks that like their their addiction that there are a bunch of things. Um, is that the same with role? I mean, tabletop role playing games. Obviously, not not exactly the same. But are, are there risks? I guess is what I'm saying that the parents should be aware of. Yeah, there's risks in everything, right? Yeah. And so that you know that's something to be aware of. Um, if it's who your kids are playing with is important, right? So like you want to be aware of like, you know, understanding some, a few basic abbreviations like um, NSFW, not safe for work, um, is going to mean that it's going to be rated R content. Like people are going to talk about sexy stuff and things like that. You might not want that with, you know, with your kid, depending on, you know, what's going on. Um, you can ask a lot of game masters what they basically like the rating of their table is. Um, most game masters today will say like, okay, we're PG-13 or we're rated R or we're PG here. Uh, finding games too that fit the age and developmental level of your child can be important. Uh, so like um, my friend uh, who actually is part of Geeks Like Us, Randall Hampton, he just created the little game master system on Kickstarter. I'm writing one of the adventures for it. Um, and it is a very simplistic uh, tabletop role-playing game for kids like ages four to eight. Um, Excellent. Excellent. There's also like this awesome game called The Shivers. I really like that one. It's a pop-up. It's like um, escape rooms kind of, but it's a pop-up and it's designed for kids and they get to role-play that stuff. Uh, Monty Cook created a game called No Thank You Evil that's also very... It, uh, expands out and gets more complicated as the kids get older and so understanding that that kind of stuff and thinking about what's appropriate for them um, you can have games of D&D &D with kids probably eight and up for mature eight-year-olds or for game masters who know how to bring down this the complexity uh, that's something that I do with my own younger children as I bring down the complexity quite a bit for them and let them play uh, 
also just being aware of like how your kids are going to play um that i was convinced at one point my kids were going to be sneaky and sneak in and rescue somebody and nope they went in full and just killed all the bad guys like oh okay this is this is what we're doing got it (laughs) um you know so that kind of stuff and like the good thing with a game like D&D or just tabletop role-playing games in general, like you mentioned that kind of dopamine addictive type quality that we can have with video games where you sit down and suddenly four hours have gone by and you didn't realize it. Um, same thing can happen with D&D, but the thing is, is like you can't necessarily play for another four hours because you need all the people at the table to show up to. And we all have schedules and things that we're doing and we're busy. And so it's... There's a lot of things to think about. Um, for a lot of folks, I talk about going to local game stores and sitting in on a game. Um, if you have a, you know, middle school aged child, you know, so early teenager to mid teenager kid, I would probably encourage parents to go to the game store or call the game store and talk to some of the folks who run games and just find out kind of what the vibe is, what the kind of worst games are as far as like, okay, tell me the horror stories, what have been the bad players and how do you handle bad players and how do you handle help new players? Um, what, you know, trying to find out what the attitudes are of inclusivity, um, new players, all of that kind of stuff. Just kind of asking those basic questions. Is it the sort of, now excuse my ignorance on this, I've, I've never played Dungeons mm-hmm. and Dragons. So is it the sort of thing that, I could uh, buy from this shop and, and introduce to my kids at home as a game master, or it's more complex and I need to go to these places to understand and explore it first. Like, how would you recommend? Now, I'm, I'm a dad. I've got teenage kids. Yeah. How how would I best uh, you know introduce this um, uh, this gaming? So most games, including Dungeons and Dragons, sell starter sets, which are a very basic adventure, usually with pre-generated characters and uh, a world that they can explore in. And it walks you through the rules. Um, When the fifth edition of Dungeons and Dragons came out, they created an adventure called The Lost Minds of Phandelver with their starter set. I love that adventure. I think it's really good. They do a great job of like the very first little um, encounter that you have kind of walks you through some basics of playing the game and everything. And then once you get to the town, the world kind of opens up depending on what NPCs you talk to or what you are interested in. Kind of every NPC has a quest for you, but they all kind of tie into the main quest. And so it's really interesting to kind of go through that and drive it up. I would say if you've never picked up dice and played D&D before, uh, we live in this golden age of streaming. Go on to YouTube and watch some people play. Uh, Critical Role is the one I love. I, I suppose I should plug mine. I DM a show called Clinical Role. It's all clinicians who play D&D. Uh, and we're just as goofy as anybody else. But um, I think to kind of get an idea of a campaign, which is the start, a story from start to finish, where you don't have to invest a humongous amount of time. Um, Critical Role did do a four-session uh, series called Alexandria uh, Unlimited Age of Calamity that is some of the best role playing I think I've ever seen where you see just how emotionally attached you can get to these characters how powerful the story of the narrative can be and just how fascinating it all can be too and uh, it, it's one of those things of like you can read about playing tabletop role playing games in a book 
but really, I think a big part of why D&D has taken off so much in tabletop role-playing games in general in the last several years has been because people can finally watch and see how they're played. Because, like, just understand, I think that's part of where the satanic panic came from is just people didn't get it. It's like kids sitting around a table and going on an adventure. Like, this this sounds weird. And it, yeah, it kind of is, but it's us sitting around and telling a story together with rules. Yep. Right? We... We don't get to just be like, I win, you lose. It's like, I wanted to do this. We're going to roll some dice to see if that happens and how successful or unsuccessful I am in my attempts. And so it's a really awesome way. It's a great way to bond with your teenagers, honestly. Yeah, yeah, definitely something I will explore. Megan, perhaps um, after the call, you can email me that uh, a couple of those uh, links, particularly to the YouTube channel that you were talking about there, because uh, I know there are parents listening who uh, will want to explore this. Um, there, there are so many um, benefits. So maybe um, a bit of a segue from it. I want to co- I want to come back to digital gaming in a second, um, mm-hmm. but maybe you can share some anonymous success stories of how using tabletop role playing games as a clinical intervention for children and families would would that be okay? Yeah, yeah. I think um, there's a couple of really powerful stories that have come out of my games. I think. Two in particular for my pilot games when I was just running it and I was like, is this just kids having fun or is this kids actually learning skills? And um, one of them was a little kid with autism and they had uh, all, all of their, I had all their characters wake up with amnesia. And they knew, like, they knew who they were, but they didn't have full amnesia. They just were missing six months. And they all woke up together and they got to a village in a place that they didn't know. And they all did the video game thing of trying to go and sell all their equipment. And so we paused and we talked about the idea of a narrative game. Like your character is a living, breathing person who just woke up in an unfamiliar place. And the only thing familiar to them are the clothes on their back and they're about to sell them. And this one kid kind of like their eyes kind of lit up and they're like going, oh, I'm supposed to do what my character wants to do, not what I want to do. And like, that's a really big difference between a video game RPG and a tabletop role playing game In a tabletop role playing game, you are, are acting as your character in a video game. You're trying to put yourself into the world of the game. And so play, you know, even if you're playing something like breath of the wild, most people don't play link the way link would probably explore that world. They play link the way they want to explore the world. And so that, that's a really big theory of mind difference for, especially for kids on the autism spectrum. Uh, another big time success story was uh, I had a player who had a hard time saying no to their friends and they came up to me after a session and they were saying how their friends were asking them for a ride and they felt themselves about to say yes, even though they didn't want to. And they recognized their character wouldn't say yes. So they weren't going to say yes. So they said no to their friends for the first time because they were imagining how their character would react in that situation. And those, yeah, it was so powerful. And those two things were where I was like, okay, we got something here. We got something. We're going to run with this. (sighs) Yeah, that's really powerful and uh, and encouraging. Um, As parents, sometimes, and I'm speaking for myself here, sometimes we struggle with communicating with our kids. It's, It's almost like sometimes they're speaking another language. So... You know, is this the sort of thing where tabletop role-playing games can help me as a parent communicate better with my kids? I mean, I think so, because a typical game like of, you know, D&D or any tabletop game, if you play for two hours, that's a pretty short game. 
uh, you're probably going to be sitting around for about four hours playing this game together. And so the whole four hours isn't playing the game. There's a lot of cross chat that goes on. There's a lot of like, you know, creating in jokes and things. And if you think about how much of our communication as humans is us not talking about what we're talking about, you know, like um, my partner and I speak in quotes to each other a lot where we're, we'll just quote little conversations or little funny videos that and just one-liners from it, not the whole thing. And we know what each other is talking about. And so because we've shared these jokes, we've shared these experiences, we have that common language. And so the more we have shared experiences with people, the more common language we can build in. And so, of course, it's going to help with communication and building relationships. Yeah, fantastic. Um, are there any, now talking about video games for a second, um, are there any video games that perhaps you'd recommend that could be helpful to a child's development? Um, you know, I'm talking, you know, maybe, I don't know, 8 to 15 perhaps, um, you know, because there, there are parents out there and, and I know there are parents listening and certainly parents I encounter in my work that they hold off from introducing their kids to video games for as long as possible because they know there are some challenges associated. Uh, but is there one that maybe parents can introduce with a little bit less guilt? I I would always suggest Minecraft. It's an oldie but a goodie. Um, I love Minecraft. I love how creative it is. Um, and I like the different modes that you have. Uh, it, it's been really interesting. I have a pretty big age spread across my kids. And so the older ones, when they were younger, like to play Minecraft in what's called creative mode, where you have access to all the blocks, nothing will attack you, and it's a very peaceful thing, and you can just build stuff. But now that they are grown up, they're like, nope, I want to play in survival, I want to have to attack things, I want to have to you know, scavenge the world for resources and, and build things. And uh, so getting to play that, uh, also Minecraft, like, it's a great game to play as a family. We've done, my family, we do family servers, and we'll do build projects together and go and survive and try to go and get to the end and kill the ender dragon together and you know, make potions and things. It's that's a great game to introduce. Um, and I think also just getting to play, play with your kids. Like, you know, uh, Nintendo has awesome games to play together. You know, Mario Kart is always amazing to play, I think. Um, and just, there are, so many beautiful games out there um if you're going through uh potentially losing someone in grief and anger there is this amazing game called lost words uh where a child you're playing through two things a child's writing in her diary about her grandmother falling ill and then she feels like she can make her grandmother better by finishing a story and so then you play the video game as the story and trying to solve this issue and it's just going through anger and grief and loss and feeling powerless it's so beautifully done um for and i would say like if adults you know if anyone listening does not play video games which is becoming rarer and rarer these days most people you know who are parents now grew up playing themselves uh but an incredibly powerful game is called gris uh you can get it, i think on any platform now and it plays through the stages of grief in just incredibly powerful way and incredibly beautiful. Um, just touching, like, it's no words in it. It's pictures and sounds and experiences, and it, it is just beautiful. Um, it's like, it, it's watercolor, too, so it's like you're playing inside of a painting. Wow. And is it G-R-I-S? Is that how I spell yes. it? Yes. 
Yes, so gray in Spanish. Yeah. Ah, wonderful. Perfect. Um, <laughs> so uh, here's an interesting one. Uh, how do you... Um, uh, how do you foresee the future of, say, gaming and therapy, particularly as now technology is evolving and continues to advance and shaping the way we interact with games? Like, do you do you foresee a future where perhaps therapy, metaverse, virtual reality, and role playing are all integrated? Like, I don't know if you've thought about that. Yes. But... Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, my my business partner who I opened the practice with, he's be, big into VR um, and doing VR therapy, which has more research on at the tabletop therapy even though it's newer um, but uh it no there's a lot that you can do with with all of that and bringing people in we we're actually trying to look at some blended um augmented reality and virtual reality and face-to-face -face ways to bring people into the same room to play a game uh and you know, that's the exciting part that, you know, D&D uh, &D is working on a virtual tabletop that should allow for it to feel like everybody's at a table. I don't know, like the tech. It's one of those things that the technology works really well when the players do what you expect, but when stuff doesn't go the way you expect, which is most times when you're playing a tabletop game, <laughs> um, I don't know how the engines can handle that. But it's really interesting because like you don't need fancy graphics to run these games well. You just need a place where everybody can come together and see, hope, ideally see each other and talk and, you know, indicate where they're moving their token to. Yeah, 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 that's good. That's uh, an interesting future ahead. Uh, one that is very exciting, no doubt. Um, as, as we come to sort of wrap up, um, like I've got a whole bunch of questions here that I could <laughs> continue and I'm really enjoying our conversation. So I might just ask a, a more generic one. Is there something that, um, you know, perhaps... I haven't asked that should have asked, you know, or a message that you have to parents in relation to tabletop gaming therapy or helping kids thrive. Is there something that uh, you wish I'd asked that perhaps I haven't yet? Well, I think the, the big thing I just want to say is game with your kids. You know, sit down and like, if they're playing solo games, sit down and watch them play. You know, play board games with them. Don't be afraid to introduce your kids to games that are potentially like more advanced than they should be playing i've got you know my youngest is eight but we play games together that are frequently rated for kids ages 14 and up and that's not a rating of mature content it's just these rules are complicated and probably better for 14 but if they're interested we engage with it and we find ways to modify and change the games to meet our kids needs and it is just, it's so much fun. Like my kid got ready for school super early this morning. And so we played two different board games before they went to school. Um, you know, it, it's really awesome to be able to sit down and just play a game with them and see their little brains develop and learn things. And plus there are so many good games out there to play with kids these days. Um, and just in general. <laughs> and, and and to me as a father, it's a, it, it appears to be a, a far more healthier obsession, a far more healthy passion. So uh, something I've got to do a better job of, no doubt, Megan. Uh, a question we like to ask all of our guests, uh, at speaking of advice, uh, is if we had a uh, time machine and you could go back to your 10-year-old self, what would uh, Dr. Megan uh, impart on uh, young Megan of 10? Ooh, by that's Apple question, stock. Right? No. <laughs> <laughs> that's a given. Uh, that's a given, yeah. Aside from the buy stocks, which I would be like, oh, I don't understand what you mean. Um I so one of the things I'm pretty open about this I have a language based learning disability which is commonly called dyslexia um and I think I would just like try to 
tight to my ears. I'm like, really don't sweat the spelling thing. It's going to be such a non-issue when you're, <laughs> you're grown up. <laughs> it just, it's okay. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Great advice and uh, one that uh, we can all translate into our own language, no doubt. Um, so finally, as we wrap up, Megan, how can parents or uh, listeners stay connected with you and learn more about the work in your, f- your field of gaming and psychology and geek culture? Uh, how, how do we connect with you? Yeah, uh, I am at Megan Sidey, M-E-G-A-N-P-S-Y-D on all the social platforms. And I am at HQ Psych, so H-Q-P-S-Y-C-H.com or MeganSidey.com. And that's where those are the places where you can find all the things that I do, which is far too many things um, and the fun that I have there. You are indeed very busy. We'll put all those uh, links in the show notes uh, below or wherever you're listening to this. Uh, Megan, thanks for your time and generosity today. It was actually a really interesting conversation for me as, as a parent. And I know that uh, many of our listeners will get uh, tons of uh, useful tips and, uh, and, and things they can take away and use from this. So thank you very much. Thank you. Oh, can I do a couple of quick gamer recommendations too for different ages? Heck yes, please do it. All right. So I am a big fan of cooperative games. These are games where you play as a team against a the game itself. Uh, for younger kids, there's a great game called Zombie Kids where you are kids trying to defend your school from zombies. It is a very interesting game. It's a legacy game, meaning that it changes the more you play it. And so it starts off with incredibly simple rules. And as you play through the game and master the rules, they get more complicated. Uh, As you get older, kiddos, probably like age 10 or so, Forbidden Island, Forbidden Desert, Forbidden Skies are amazing games, as is Pandemic, though it hits a bit close to home these days, I think. And then for teenagers, there's a great one called The Night Cage that is... uh, kind of plays with horror themes but it is still a cooperative game where you are trapped in tunnels and you all have to find and light candles and uh find your keys and bring the keys to the locker room while not being attacked by these wick monsters it's a really cool game and it's cooperative and so you have to work together and uh, that makes for a much better family game night than monopoly where people want to flip the table over yeah uh that's 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 our typical game night what what about for adults uh let's say i'm having an adult rpg night what's uh what what do you think we can play as adults well it's uh again like um pandemic is always a good time i think and again like just because of everything that's been going on in the world it's it's kind of an interesting game uh if people like the game clue there is a game called mysterium which i feel like is clue but better where somebody plays a ghost who is having to send messages back to their friends who are holding a seance about how they died and the only way the ghost could communicate is through these really weird abstract paintings um it is very fun when I have game nights with my friends. Uh, we typically end on that because we're all trying to get out of what we're calling New Heaven, which is the purgatory that we're trapped in because nobody has figured out our murder yet. <laughs> and we've played it eight times now and only two two times have we won, but we've had a blast playing it every time. <laughs> Sounds like a lot of fun. We'll look it up and I'll, I'll, I'll try and get some of those listed in our show notes as well because there's uh, some great recommendations there, no doubt. <laughs> Dr. Megan, thanks again for your time. Uh, A fascinating and uh, enlightening discussion. Cheers. Thank you so much. If you enjoyed the show, please connect with Jamie on LinkedIn or Instagram. You'll find links in the podcast description. Parenting in the Digital Age is sponsored by Skill Samurai, coding and STEM academy for kids. 
Skills Samurai offers after-school coding classes and holiday programs to help kids thrive academically and socially while preparing them for the careers of the future. Visit skillsamurai.com.au.